Coming up this evening live from New York City, Moderna is suing Pfizer and BioNTech, accusing them of copying its vaccine technology. Virologist Robert Malone gives us his take. Mark Zuckerberg says Facebook suppressed posts about Hunter Biden's laptop after a visit from the FBI. And a new deal between China and the U.S. could prevent major Chinese companies from being delisted, including e-commerce giant Alibaba. Then much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here for NTD Business. Moderna sued Pfizer and BioNTech for patent infringement. It claims the two copied technology that Moderna had created before the pandemic even started. Here's our report. Moderna is suing Pfizer and BioNTech. Moderna claims the two firms stole its vaccine technology. Moderna claims they stole two types of intellectual property. One involves an mRNA structure that is found in one of Moderna's vaccines. Moderna says its scientists developed it back in 2010. Another involves the coding of a full-length spike protein. The spike protein is used to trigger the immune system into producing antibodies. Moderna's position is really quite aggressive in terms of patent infringement on their technology. Dr. Robert Malone is the president of the International Alliance of Physicians and Medical Scientists, as well as the CEO of the Malone Institute. Malone worked on the development of mRNA vaccine technology. He says Moderna's patents are weak. There's going to be a major knockdown, dragout fight because there's so much money to fight over. And the consequence may be that a number of these patents end up getting invalidated because they were inappropriately examined and issued because they failed to cite prior patents and prior literature. Malone says this includes his own papers, which he wrote back when he was working on mRNA technology. Moderna says it's filing these lawsuits to protect the innovative mRNA technology that they themselves pioneered and invested billions of dollars in creating. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. Did Facebook intentionally suppress news on Hunter Biden? CEO Mark Zuckerberg talked about it on the Joe Rogan podcast. NTD's Char Marshall has more. The Hunter Biden laptop. What's the big deal? Well, Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Meta, the parent company of Facebook, told podcast host Joe Rogan in a recent interview that Facebook hid the information to some extent. Basically, that the company actively reduced the reach of social media posts referencing the story about Hunter Biden's laptop leading up to the 2020 presidential election. So our protocol is different from Twitter's. What Twitter did is they said, you can't share this at all. Um, We didn't do that. What what we do is we have, um, if something is reported to us as potentially... Um, misinformation, important misinformation. We, we also have this third-party fact-checking program because we don't want to be deciding what's true and false. Thursday on episode 1,863 of the Joe Rogan Experience, Zuckerberg said that the move was in response to a general advisory from the FBI to some Facebook staffers to be vigilant for Russian propaganda before the 2020 election. Part of what I've struggled with around this is I didn't get into this to basically judge those things. I got into this to design technology that helps people connect. Joe Rogan had this to say near the end of the interview. It's hard because everybody wants to look at it after the fact. Now yeah. that we know that the laptop was real and that it was a legitimate story and there, there is potential corruption involved with him, what we, we, we think, oh, that should not have been restricted. That should not have been banned from sharing on Twitter. 
Right. I think everybody agrees with that. Even Twitter agrees with that. A poll by Media Research showed that 45% of people who voted for President Biden were unaware of the allegations against Hunter and Joe Biden. And that 16% of Biden voters wouldn't have voted for him had they known this crucial information. Coincidentally, 45% is also the proportion of 18 to 34-year-olds in the United States who say social media is their most used news platform. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Moving on to Wall Street, markets tanked today after Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell's speech at an annual symposium. Apparently, he sounded much more hawkish than the market expected. More on his speech in just a moment. The Dow plunged 1,008 points, 3%. The S&P lost 141 points, or 3 and 4 tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq fell 498 points, or nearly 4%. Warning of more economic pain, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell sends a clear signal that interest rates will stay high before the central bank gets inflation under control. Here he is at the Fed's annual symposium in Jackson Hole, Wyoming today. Reducing inflation is likely to require a sustained period of below-trend growth. Moreover, there will very likely be some softening of labor market conditions. While higher interest rates, slower growth, and softer labor market conditions will bring down inflation, they will also bring some pain to households and businesses. These are the unfortunate costs of reducing inflation. But a failure to restore price stability would mean far greater pain. New data out today show the PCE price index dipped 0.1% last month. It's the first drop since April 2020. Year over year, it increased 6.3% the slowest pace since January. The so-called core PCE price index increased 4.6%. This is the Fed's preferred inflation measure. And it's still far away from the Fed's 2% target. The Fed meets again next month. They'll decide on how much to raise interest rates, either by half a percent or three quarters of a percent. And I spoke with Lance Roberts earlier about the Fed's stance and where inflation is going. He's the chief investment strategist for RIA Advisors. Here's what he had to say. Lance, thanks for coming today. So Powell says historical record cautions strongly against premature loosening. Seemed more hawkish today, right? What are your thoughts? Well, no, we've been saying this for quite some time is that, you know, the markets have been really misinterpreting the Fed up to this point. They've been taking all these kind of comments from the Federal Reserve saying, well, you know, we may slow the pace of rate hikes in the future as some type of dovish pivot, like we're going to stop raising rates and we're going to go back to QE. And we've been saying, you know, that's not going to be the case because inflation is still problematic and, and price pressures are the big key issue for the Fed. And what Jerome Powell said this weekend at, at the Jackson Hole Summit was essentially the same thing. Inflation pressures are the most important thing and that we will continue to tighten even at the expense of the economy slower earnings, slower economic growth, slower employment, that's okay. The economy might have to suffer some pain to get inflation down, and that's not what the market was expecting. So new PCE numbers out today eased a little bit, CPI at 8.5% too. Do you feel there's more of an argument now that inflation might be easing? Well, so there's there's a lot of things that factor in. And look, I've been on the, in the camp now for the last several months that we've probably seen the peak of inflation. Um, but there's a large difference between peak inflation and inflation coming down a little bit and getting back to 2% target inflation was what the Fed's looking for. 
inflation will come down because of the math. We compare inflation on a year-over-year basis. So a year ago, inflation was on the rise and was starting to get to more elevated levels. So the numbers going forward, the comparison number is going to be a lot bigger. So the rate of inflation will come down in the months ahead. But it's not going to come down so dramatically. Even by the end of this year, we're still probably looking at 6.5% inflation by the end of this year. That's still a long way to go from 2% inflation. And one of the bigger problems right now is wage inflation, which is not coming down. And that feeds directly into the inflation equation because the more the companies have to pay for labor, the more they have to pass through to consumers in terms of higher prices to offset those labor costs. So there's a lot of arguments here that yes inflation will come down this year but it's not going to come down very rapidly and that's going to leave the fed in a more aggressive posture on raising interest rates through the end of this year now on what you just said i want to bring up a recent analysis it says uh, inflation for the past two years 60 percent is is actually caused by demand 40 percent supply chain issues right. so how effective can the fed really be when, when it comes to fighting inflation well, very. <laughs> they can. Um, you know, again, the reason that we have inflation is because of what you just said. First of all, we had a supply chain shutdown because of the economic shutdown because of the pandemic. So first of all, we had less supply. Then we gave everybody checks to households, right? Everybody got their $1,400 check twice and a $900 check on top of that, which they went out and spent. So we, that, that stimulus created artificial demand against a backdrop of, of really no supply. And that's why you have this big inflation in the economy. So as the Fed continues to reduce monetary accommodation and money is extracted from the economy, inflation will come down, particularly now that we're seeing a lot of the supply chains come back online. We're starting to see supply pick up. Just recently, uh, Target, Walmart, others in their earnings report said, hey, look, our biggest problem right now is too much inventory. And we saw Amazon, Walmart, Target, big sales, discounting uh, inventory to get that moved off their, off their books. And that impacted their profit margins. So again, this is all part of that inflation problem. But now we're going into the bullwhip effect to where all that rush to build stuff is now coming back and having to get liquidated. So as a function of all this, you know, inflation will weaken as we get further into the year. We will see, I guess. Thank you very much, Lance Roberts. For your insight, Chief Investment Strategist at RIA Advisors, great to have you on again. My pleasure. Thank you. Blackstone subsidiary Home Partners of America will stop buying homes in 38 U.S. cities. That's cities including Boise, Idaho, Fresno, California, Memphis, Tennessee, and 25 other areas. Blackstone said these markets represent less than 5% of its recent activity and that it hopes to resume buying there in the future. This is happening as housing prices are falling. Other large investors are also dialing down their activity in the housing market. These include Invitation Homes, Inc., American Homes for Rent, and KKR. Over two-thirds of Americans are concerned there could be a recession before the end of next year. This is according to a recent survey by financial services company Bankrate. The survey comes amid an ongoing debate about whether the country is already in a recession. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. The Bankrate report found that 74% of Americans are taking steps to prepare for an economic downturn. Measures include spending less on discretionary purchases, saving for emergencies, paying off credit card debt, and looking for other avenues of income. 
And the most significant action and the most common action they're taking, about half of Americans tell us they are cutting back on discretionary purchases. It's another way of saying they're focusing on their necessities when they're making purchases as consumers. But a reduction in consumer spending would slow economic growth, which would make a recession more likely. On the one hand, they are putting their personal finances in a better position, we presume, with the actions they're taking, and that is to focus more on saving and less on spending. At the same time, consumers power the economy, and so they are responsible for nearly three-quarters of economic activity in this country. The survey also found that 41% of Americans feel unprepared for a recession. I think what we see here is those who are most financially fragile, those who may not be in the best position to weather a recession, are, appropriately so, uh, more concerned. Hamrick said economists are on the fence about whether the country will experience a recession before the end of next year. Economists broadly believe that the risks of a recession, say between now and the end of next year, are about 50-50. That's what we found in our most recent quarterly survey among economists. The Bankrate report also found that 7 out of 10 Americans feel that inflation will not improve by this time next year. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And there's been a major step forward in ending a dispute that threatened to delist Chinese companies from U.S. stock exchanges. Beijing signed a pact to allow U.S. regulators to audit accounting firms in China and Hong Kong. U.S. regulators for a decade have, have demanded access to auditing papers of Chinese companies listed in the U.S. However, Beijing has been reluctant in letting foreign regulators do so, citing national security concerns. If the deal works, this could give China the chance to retain access to the world's deepest capital markets. More on the deal. Earlier, I talked to Kevin Friedman. He's the host of Economic War Room. Here he is. Kevin, pleasure to have you with us today. You know, just first off, break it down for us. How significant is this deal between China and the U.S.? Well, Don, several things. First, you have to go back in history. It was during the Obama administration with Joe Biden that we gave a memo of understanding to Chinese companies that allowed them literally to be exempted from our accounting standards. More recently, we said we're going to hold Chinese companies to our accounting standards, and they rebuffed that idea. Uh, but now they've negotiated, looks like an agreement, that uh, companies will be able to, to show their accounting in China, not in the United States, not with the same inspections that we would normally expect. But this is going to unleash 200 companies that otherwise would have been delisted on our stock exchange to continue to be available to American investors. It's a big development. I'm not sure it's a good development, but it's a big development. Now, China has signed previous deals with the U.S., right? Think uh, the phase one trade deal. So I'm just wondering how substantial of an access will U.S. regulators get? Well, that's a big question. And you don't know what will be redacted, what will be considered state secrets. And the promise from Gary Gensler and the SEC, at least what they've said publicly, is they won't allow for any shenanigans that they will demand to see the proof. Otherwise, they will delist the stocks. But you never know. And it's a very different thing from opening your books and having them fully, completely audited properly by accounting firms and then having a controlled event uh, on Chinese soil where you limit access. So I, I'm not certain that access will be granted, but it is a it is a step forward in this negotiation. Do you feel like this is sort of like a concession from the Chinese part? 
I'm very wary to say that it's a concession. I think it may be more of a delaying tactic. I'm very concerned. I think that Chinese companies listed in the United States, just like French companies, uh, British companies, Latin American companies, they should all completely conform to U.S. accounting standards. I don't believe that this is that complete conformance. This is a special situation that has been negotiated. I don't think it's in the best interest of American investors, uh, but it is what it is. It's what the Biden administration is doing today. Now, Kevin, why don't we hear about this kind of scrutiny for other countries' companies? Why, why Chinese companies in particular? Well, the Chinese have declared that a lot of what they do are, is state secret, and, and it's a, a, special, you know, a, a special provision that they have to have because of state secrets. No other companies anywhere in the world demand this type of exemption. Uh, the Chinese got it in the memo of understanding. They're getting it again in this, this agreement. Hopefully, it will give U.S. Uh, access sufficient to actually uncover where there's fraud. But there has been fraud. We saw it with Luckin Co Coffee and other companies. We And we've seen repeated examples of fraud. Even when there's U.S. court judgments that have come against these fraudulent Chinese companies, there's no way to get the money back. Uh, there, so I, I'm very concerned that this will continue and perpetuate the opportunity for fraud. And a lot of these companies already have a special deal. For example, Alibaba, which is mentioned here, Alibaba is a Cayman Islands uh, special interest entity. It's a special entity that is exempt from normal uh, procedures. It's out of the Cayman Islands. It's not really true ownership in Chinese companies. And we see this at the same time that people like Gordon Chang are warning that China is turning their nation, their manufacturing capabilities to a war footing you know, here in the United States, we're forgiving student loans. And in China, they're turning their machinery and their manufacturing to preparation for warfare. So I think this is a delaying tactic. I don't see this as good for American investors. Now, you mentioned investors. Just one last thing. What's your advice to investors of these Chinese companies? Well, if Gordon Chang is correct and China is preparing for a war footing, I would advise Americans to avoid any Chinese companies, period. I mean, if you invested in Russian companies just before they had the Ukraine invasion, uh, you wouldn't be able to sell those companies now as an American. And if something happens geopolitically with China, uh, those companies will be dead money. You, you've invested in them, you won't be able to do with anything. So with the current geopolitical situation, uh, I'm not certain that I would invest anything in uh, mainland Chinese companies. All right. Thank you very much, Kevin Freeman, host of Economic War Room. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you, Don. And still to come, better cell phone coverage soon to come for T-Mobile users thanks to Elon Musk's satellites. And a media giant will be hosting virtual concerts in the game Fortnite. And the first performance is coming up soon. That and more after the break on NTD Business. Welcome back. SpaceX and T-Mobile are joining forces to give you better cell phone connectivity. NTD's Colin Fredrickson has the details. 
The, the important thing about this is that it, it means there's no dead zones anywhere in the world for your cell phone. Elon Musk's SpaceX is teaming up with T-Mobile to try to provide cell phone service even in the most isolated places. Musk and T-Mobile's CEO made the announcement Thursday at SpaceX's Texas facility. Under the plan, T-Mobile's phone network would cut off cell towers and instead be routed through SpaceX's Starlink satellites, allowing users to send texts and images where cell coverage doesn't usually exist. Musk says that's key for emergency situations in remote areas. Is that it will save lives. Um, and we will no longer read about these tragedies that, that happened where people got lost. And, and if only they could have called for help, they'd be okay. He says T-Mobile users won't need to upgrade their phones. And T-Mobile CEO Mike Sievert said some users won't need to upgrade their plans either. My vision for this is that on our most popular plans, we're just going to go ahead and include this. The companies are looking to provide text coverage across the U.S. in select areas by the end of next year. When asked about expanding the coverage further, this is what Musk said. How do you see this maybe going further into the solar system, maybe future partnership there? Uh, well, we'd love to have T-Mobile on Mars. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. SpaceX has launched nearly 3,000 low-orbit Starlink satellites since 2019, outpacing rivals OneWeb and Amazon's project Kuiper. And media giant iHeartMedia is bringing virtual concerts to the popular video game Fortnite. The company is launching its own dedicated space in the game called iHeartLand to host events and concerts. The virtual park is aimed at attracting younger audiences. It features several different areas, including a main stage called State Park Farm. It also has mini games and a digital headquarters for iHeartMedia. The media company currently has 20 events planned over the next 12 months. They kick off September 9th with a pre-recorded performance from singer Charlie Puth. And there's no need to wish upon a star for a live-action version of Pinocchio because Tom Hanks and Robert Zemeckis are joining forces to create an adaptation of the 1940 animated classic. The, firm will the film will debut on Disney Plus on September 8th. Hanks stars as Geppetto, the toy maker who created Pinocchio. Others in the movie include Cynthia Rivo and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Meanwhile, Netflix is also working on a version of Pinocchio led by Guillermo del Toro, set to debut this fall. And that's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. That's all for today. Thanks for watching. See you Monday.